Peace be upon you, and welcome to this week's edition to Pathway to Peace, a show which takes an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace, and perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace. This week, we'll be focusing on attaining political peace. In an article published on the Al Jazeera News website on the 4th of January, titled The Year of Elections, is 2024 democracy's biggest test ever. More than 2 billion people across 50 countries are expected to go to the polls this year. Michael Robbins, director of Arab Barometer, a research network based at Princeton University, which works with universities and polling organizations in the Middle East, conducted a survey of the electorate between the late 2021 and the spring of 2022. Says there's been a regional shift in views on democracy since the last survey that was held back in 2018-19. He mentions there's a growing perception that democracy is not a perfect form of government and it won't fix everything. He also remarks that what we see across the region is people going hungry, people need bread, people are frustrated with the systems that they have. That's why this week's programme is titled Beyond Ballots, Is Democracy Working? My name is Kaleem Manwar. And I'm your host for today's show. With me to attempt to dissect this topic and its many encompassing issues is fellow Pathway to Peace presenter, Nasser Jad. So uh, a warm welcome and uh, a salam welcome to you, Nasser. Welcome, salam. I was just going to say, it's obviously for us, obviously, first time uh, we're doing the show together after a while. Right. Um, and what better than to start, you know, the new year, really. Um, so it's a, it's a pleasure to have you back on we're both collaborating on this one um but I, I thought what what sort of caught my attention um in sort of the you know sort of the, the build-up to this show was a, as i mentioned before was this article where it highlights just, it just the, the amount of elections that are taking place in this year i think it's just so happened that the way the way the election cycles have sort of coincided across a whole multitude of countries mm. um and i'll um I'll just, I'll just, you know, just for the benefit really of the listener, I'll, I'll go through what, what some of these are, um, and some of them happened already. So if you start with Bangladesh, on January the seventh, uh, they went to the polls, um, and and I think and, and and I think what's interesting, and probably in each of the countries that I'm about to mention, they have their own sort of issues that are going on, um, and that's obviously despite what's happening sort of globally at the moment um, with the sort of Israel-Gaza conflict. As well as the Ukraine Russia sort of you know conflict taking place, so there's a lot happening. Obviously, you know, you know, some really, really, really bad stuff happening. Mm. And then we got countries going to the polls uh, with their own sort of national issues. Bangladesh, as I said, that has already happened, and um, I think it's an interesting setup uh, in Bangladesh. Um, it's the, I think the prime minister is Sheikh Hasina Wazid um, has. She's been, I think, she's been 15 years as prime minister. Um, which, uh, and I know Bangladesh have had female prime ministers in the past, um, but she's. So, I think you know. The, the, I'll just have an article here in front of me. Uh, the Guardian website mentions that during her term in office, uh, they've they've you know, they've seen times of such extreme poverty in a sort of been cut in half, um, which obviously reflects very well, I suppose, in, on her and her sort of politics. Um, but um, but obviously that you know that they've mentioned, for example, the main opposition party, 
the Bangladesh Nas- Nationalist Party um, were obviously boycotting the poll. So there's obviously, and it does mention on the Guardian website, what seems to be a bit of a hollow victory is just four in 10 voters turned down. Mm. Um, so it's, and I'm sure this is probably one of the points that we'll probably kind of touch upon that, yes, you know, elections are happening, but when you've got sort of such quite low voter turnout, um, it does sort of, you know, give you the feeling that is that is that really, truly sort of a democracy? Um, if I just go over to sort of Taiwan, um, that also had there, that was due to happen, that has happened January the 13th, um, the elections took place. Quite a, quite, you know, quite tense atmosphere over there because obviously China, right. were, yeah, very, very sort of, um, you know, they obviously they're quite, can I say, uh, apprehensive rather of, a, of sort of a, a very independent leaning type party. Which lo and behold, this was the the DPP Democratic Progressive Party, and they actually they actually did win. So much to, for example, America's sort of um, you know liking, you could say. Yeah. And and China obviously was very 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 sort of skeptical about that. So that sort of brings its own challenges. We have obviously in Pakistan, and I and I'll be honest, I I can't even keep up with the politics over there. But they were they were also due to go to the polls. Yeah. And I be- I believe. In February, but I don't even know if that's happening, to be honest. Um, given obviously the situation with the former Prime Minister Imran Khan, um, it's quite a sad state of affairs over there. Um, just it's hard you... to judge what's going on in Pakistan sometimes, just because yeah. of the forced removals. There seems to be, yeah, you know, it seems to be an ongoing cycle of prime ministers, yeah, power. Then being forcibly removed through yeah. whatever means, and it's not you know the first time, and you know, with, you know, with Imran Khan, you know, you thought there was actually something progressive going on, yeah. Yeah. and then kind of just, you know, come to a like a, a standstill almost. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's hard to keep up on that. And I think, and it's an interesting part to his party because, yeah, you're right. When he sort of came in, it was such a sort of from the ground up. Yeah. Um, you know, it was there was a lot of sort of you know, the, the masses really were rallying behind him. It right. sort of really did and, and I think the youth in particular. Yeah. But you're right. And then you could so I mean this this is exactly the context the backdrop to this show is that okay, that's that's democratic, but then then he's sort of taken out. And right. that sort of what does that say? It's quite worrying really. Well, you know, is that is that is that truly democracy? Which, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I suppose people asking the same question here in a different aspect. Obviously, it's not the same, yeah. as, but you know, we've got yeah. a government that's had a number of different leaders, none who have been elected by the people, um, yeah. over the course of you know something like the Conservative Party's tenure um, since they got voted in, since they're like their massive victory. Um, yeah. even prior to that, you know, there was, you know, this um, yeah. change of leadership. Yeah. Uh, which um, just, you know, so people are asking, you know, we didn't vote for, you know, whoever's in, you know, we've got Rishi Sunak in now. And a lot of people are asking, I don't know whether fairly or unfairly, because, you know, the party was voted in. Uh, and then it's up to them who runs that party, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but they're saying, yeah, we didn't, we didn't vote for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and hold hold that thought because we'll, yeah. we'll come back to that actually. Yeah. Very, very, very oh yeah, it's just it's just weird, but it, 
I'm not trying to draw a parallel with Pakistan, but I'm just saying, at the end of the day, he, Imran Khan has been forcibly removed and now someone else is in. And, you know, people say, well, that's not what we wanted. But, you know, sorry. I was just going to say, sort of sticking with the East, Indonesia, they will also, it says here, Indonesians will vote in the world's largest single day election to choose their president, vice president and nearly 20,000 representatives for district, provincial, national parliaments. Um, so obviously there's a lot going on over there. And and India. So India, I think, are due to have their elections um, this year. And it says in the spring of 2014, BJP uh, leader uh, Narendra Modi, obviously who's the incumbent, was sworn in as the as India's 14th prime minister. Um, so a decade later, we, you know, he's been in power for 10 years. And it looks like, you know, he's poised to win a third straight term in office, which, uh, and it says here, this will be history's largest ever democratic exercise with 900, pe- 900 million people um, voting uh, at this election. So that, uh, well, wow. Just from a logistical point of view, that, that really is quite incredible. But but just the politics that's happening in India, obviously, we that, that, that feels very much like with sort of parallels I don't know if it's lazy for me to say it like this, but you hear sort of parallels with sort of the American sort of, you know, political sort of um, how that's being played out. I'm saying that because obviously when, you know, the way Trump sort of carried himself when he was president, it's yeah. just very much, you know, Modi very much kind of plays on the sort of the nationalistic sort of sentiments. Right. That populist um, sentiment. Yeah, populist. That's, sorry, that's the word. So, I mean, yeah. you say that, but then he's been in there for so long now. Does he still yeah. carry that title? I mean, is it just yeah. because of the way he rules or because of, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, with, with Trump, he, 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 the end, although recently he's obviously won the Iowa caucuses and will be the, yes. the front runner. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, and so we may see him back. Yeah. Um, Modi has never actually left. So, and there's been no, while there's been heavy criticism of him and his BJP party, yeah, they've they're still there, and yeah. he's still large, and he still has uh, support. So it, does he still count as populist? I don't know. He does. He does. Going, I suppose, to the sort of southern sort of hemisphere, South Africa, uh, they're also due to have uh, elections this year. Um, so it's it's interesting. So between May and August, South Africa is expected to hold its seventh national election. Um, since apartheid, um, uh, which took place in 1994. It doesn't sound very long, does it? Seventh national election, that's quite interesting. Um, and so South Africa has a population of 60 million, it's quite comparable to the UK, uh, with 27 million registered voters. But I think South Africa has its own challenges. Um, there seems to be a lot of the the African National Congress, ANC, they've sort of held continuous power since 94. And I believe that was Nelson Mandela's party, basically. Mm. And I've, I've spoken to people, a good friend of mine, um, actually grew up, uh, born and raised in South Africa, and then obviously moved to UK. But And um, he was telling me that, and he goes back, um, you, know, you know, back back and forward, and he said that it, it's, I think the way sort of the politics has played out in, in South Africa, the fact that, Given the stature of Nelson Mandela, uh, and, it, and obviously he's, he's passed away, but the, that that power, that party that he started, um, it, it, I, I just think there's sort of there's there's sort of this loyalty there that 
it seems very hard for change for a change in leadership for a change in power yeah. from a new party and yet there's been quite a lot of corruption going on in that country as well that's right yeah and, and i think sad. the fear there is and this is where you know you can begin to question mm. these you know this reg this idea when the company when a you know, a prime minister or a leader or a, uh, a party has been in for so long, mm. they've been in perhaps too long and they need this, you know, it, it becomes almost, they become almost the enemy mm. because um, it seems like the longer they're there, uh, the harder it is for them to maintain. And, and they will rely on that reputation. Like we just, you just mentioned South Africa, mm. while there's a lot of corruption, mm. you know, it's easy for them to, talk about Nelson Mandela. It's easy for them to talk about that struggle. Uh, and while it was a massive struggle and what they did and overcame it and ended apartheid yeah. was huge. You know, it, you know, let's not play that down in any way. Yeah. But then if there is corruption and corruption is, you know, corruption at the end of the day, it's yeah. you know, it's not right. Yeah. And um it's, 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 they, it's, it's blind it's, loyalty, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's almost like they can use that past, that history to say, oh, but we're the party that had Nelson, we're the party that ended up yeah. it, it, it kind of carries that kind of weight for people to, yeah. for them to, you know, do have yeah. a carry on it in, in a corrupt exactly. way. Exactly. Um, moving us a bit more closer to home, um, the European Union. So every five years, the European Union, the EU citizens participate in elections um, to choose representatives of the European Parliament. Yeah. Um, which obviously we won't be doing. Um, we won't be obviously part of that. Um, and um, so this is taking place across all 27 EU member countries. Um, so the elections are due to take place between June the 6th to June the 9th. Um, so a total of 720 MEPs will be elected. Um, so that will be interesting. I think watch this space really yeah. uh, around, June, around June time. And then, yes, the United States. So... Yeah, the big one. So this is where big one, the big one, yeah, the one day. Yeah. November the fifth, apparently, on November the November the fifth, the U.S. will vote for its president, and all seats in the House of Representatives and a third of the seats in the Senate. And um, yeah, yeah, it feels like a repeat. It's kind of <laughs> like it might be Joe Biden. Yeah, it's true. Trump. Yeah, that's right. And and I and this, I mean, this baffles me that he's obviously going through some sort of you know, you know. Criminal charges, basically. Yeah. And and I I think I was I I, I don't know if this is right, but I remember hearing a, there was a, an interview uh, on I believe it was actually probably Radio Four I think where we were just you know inquiring as to the as as to look is that is that even possible that if he's found um, you know you know he's been sort of convicted for you know whatever yeah. the issues that have been happening. He could still, still, actually potentially, you know, run as yeah. being one thing, but but if he wins it, he could still be the sort of the, the serving president. I don't know even how that works. I don't know. Yeah, how... I found that really confusing too. I mean, there's two parts. Maybe, but I think the argument is that he could pardon himself. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know. I just. All right, yeah. It just seems too yeah. surreal. It just seems too surreal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and and the, the other side to that is, apart from the fact that. You know, someone who could get convicted can actually run 
as president. I mean, I've been hearing this for a long time now that, but it doesn't mean he can't run for president. Yeah. Is the fact that people would want to vote for him. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing that he's got this conviction, knowing that he, he's passed. And that for me means more or yeah. says a lot more than the fact that he's actually allowed to run. I, I, you know, I don't know what the rules are around that. I mean, they've made yeah. the rules, they live by them, they've got to die by them. Yeah. But the fact that people would then go to the polls and vote for someone who's been convicted. Yeah. A criminal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it only seems to enhance his reputation. This is the thing. I know. Sometimes this only seems to enhance his reputation. He seems to go in there with the whole idea. You know, they're trying to bring me down, but I'm still pulling through. So, and you know, and they will be people who defend him and say, yeah. you know, you can, you can, he can do yeah. what he wants, and he has. You know, some of the worst things yeah. he was known to have done. Yeah. Um. But it, but it does people, make you people defended it. But I was just gonna say, it does make you question about. Is democracy working then? I mean, I just, I mean, this really right. is sort of the, and that's, that's the, the question, crux of this show. That's yeah, the question, if, right? Yeah, is, is it working? Because, you know, there's always been that, you know, when you grew up learning history and stuff and people say, oh, yeah, Hitler was voted in, you know, and look what happened. Mm. There. Right? So, that's you right. know, democracy is 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 not, it can't be, but it's, a, it's, it's can be manipulated, right? It can it's be easily it. manipulated because, yeah. you know, you claim Mr. Nice Guy and then you get power and then you, reveal your true colors i guess yeah um but ultimately you know in fact but the the thing is they these you know extremists or populists you know who get into power yeah. they've never really hidden their agendas no and um and so and they've used the system they haven't gone against the system it's not like they've been some kind of military coup or something like this you know where when they have used the system and they have been voted in, so people have walked in and ticked that name. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the whole. I mean, you're right. Yeah. This is this is where it becomes really just surreal. But they don't even they don't even hide, right? You know, what their intentions are, and yet despite that, people were still voting for it. Yeah. Um. I mean, well, and this is it. This is it. This is where. But then, what's the alternative? Just, this is the thing. You, you, if you do that. You know, what's, what's the alternative for someone? What's the chances of someone who's, yeah. you know, if someone's got the, you know, the best of intentions, yeah, goes in by force automatically by going in by force and you know, yeah. not being elected makes him the bad guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, the bad person. Yeah, no, that's right. That's so right. It, it's 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 there's yeah. it's it's a very difficult situation. But, you know, and it is a question of having to go to the polls. You know, you should have, go and vote and you should, yeah. you know, the, the, you, you may have to live by who you decide. Yeah, no, exactly. Which, well, coming back to, you know, literally close to home now, if you look at the, the case of the United Kingdom. Right. So, likewise, I think the prediction is that there will also be the long-awaited general election in, in this this country yeah. um so just by way of background information that the latest part that parliament uh, can be dissolved for a general a general election yeah. is on the fifth anniversary of the day it first met so that sort of calculates to you know so for our sort of situation at the moment to the current parliament that date is the 17th of december 2024 and then it says however 25 working days are then allowed to prepare for that election so it means that the next election 
in the UK must be held by the 28th of January 2025. Right. But this is where I think the people are sort of the pundits are saying, well, well, I don't, it's not going to go right up to the right up to the hour. Um, and I don't think we it probably wouldn't be wise to have sort of a, a winter general election. I don't think that ever sort of goes down well. So I think a lot of people are sort of saying that possibly we're looking at May or at second half of this year, potentially. Yeah. Um, so it will be interesting. But I think but this this sort of this does sort of point to something, actually, about, you know, um, how well, I was going to say how democratic are these, you know, <clears throat> democratic elections. And I, I, I asked that question because it's as a there's, it, there was actually a change uh, in the laws. This is back in 2019. Uh, I think when David Cameron won, and the Conservative Party then introduced something known something known as the Dissolution and Calling of Parliament Act, it came into force in 2022. This basically gives the Prime Minister the power to call a general election at, at a time of their choosing. Yeah, as long as it's as long as it's within the five year period. Yeah. Now it sort of begs the question then that you know, this is it, that we, we call it sort of fair, you know, open and free elections, fine, but it's, how can I put it, it's the, the, the choosing of when that election takes place, mm. where I, I can't help but think that, well, it's just, it's politics, isn't it, where the party who is in power will always sort of, say that. as they say, sort of sweeten the sort of, you know, the, the, the electorate by saying, you know, giving them various sort of tax breaks, Right, you know, there's a whole science behind sort of winning over certain demographics. You know, they call yeah. it like um, I don't know, uh, I forgot what it's called, like uh, Worcester, you know, Worcester uh, man, or you know, br- br- you know, you know, you know, Brighton. You know, they try and come up with these demographics. Yeah, of, of just to, you know how to sort of win over that that group basically. Yeah, um, but I don't tactical. think it's as simple. It's as very that. Ta- it's very tactical, right? Yeah, yeah. and um, it is it, strange because. At the end of the day, you know, if like sticking to uh, the UK and yeah, uh, the, the the elections that that we're just talking about, yeah, given that there's been so much turnaround yeah. in uh, leadership, yeah, and it's been, I suppose, you know, to be fair, it's been pretty stable for a while, for a little bit. Yeah. there was there was a turbulence. considering what we've gone through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Considering what it's been, it's, it's been fairly stable. Yeah, but. You know, they will still, just for the sake, not for the sake of the... And this is the thing, democracy is, is for the people, right? Mm. But for the sake of themselves and staying into power, yeah. it will yeah. take it to the last year, yeah. the last... Yeah. Like you said, it's going to happen in May. You said there's a possibility in January. may not happen. Yeah. It's most likely to be in yeah. summer. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, But they've still taken it down to the last year where... Yeah. There were strong calls for elections prior to, especially when you know you've got a prime minister who's in for forty-five days or something. Yes, another one in, and then it's like, well, let's call an election because something's not working here. Yeah. And this is after you know what's happened. What happened with Boris Johnson? What happened? You know, it's it's you know it's it's it's, it's one thing after the next. Yeah, criticism beyond criticism, and not you know the likes of me and you, but this is you know across yeah. the board. Yeah. Um. And yet they still, for this, because they've got that right, because they've got that authority, yeah. wait until the, just, just for the state of hanging on a pal. And then when it gets to that point, as you said, it'll start becoming tactical, where all of a yeah. sudden everything yeah. that was messy for the past three or four years, maybe, yeah. maybe longer, 
Um, maybe since they got voted in, I don't know. But all that suddenly will be swept aside through, you know, 20 days of, or, you know, a couple of months of, you know, sweet deals, yeah. you know, which uh, could win over the electorate. And it's just strange. All that for the sake of hanging on to power rather than yeah. fulfilling out the will of the people, which is what democracy is, no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, there's this notion, um, you know, quite heavily within sort of Islamic sort of ethics that about sort of a servant leader, right. essentially, and it's not power for power's sake. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, people may people may listen to this and think, well, hold on a minute, that, that's not the case. If you look around so-called sort of Islamic states um, yeah. of the world today, but it's, you know... They're guilty of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Of wanting to have power rather than... Yeah. Um, be the servant who would rather not be empowered, but the people have said you would be the best person for it. Yeah. But they would rather be empowered for the sake of power itself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we'll come on to that a little bit later in the show. Um, I just came across a useful stat here that I've seen on the, on the website, Sister, um, where there was a, there's a sort of a piece here around the state of democracy. Um. And there, there, there is such a thing as the, the sort of democracy index. Um, I'll come to that in a minute. But it just sort of, sort of rates, uh, obviously, the sort of the level of um, sort of democracies across the world. It says here that um, twenty-four countries in the world have been rated as full democracies, um, which is interesting. Um, this category includes all the Scandinavian countries, several Western European nations, as well as Canada. New Zealand, Australia, Mauritius, South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, and Latin American countries like Uruguay, Costa Rica, Chile. Um, it mentioned uh, otherwise, sort of globally, the, the three worst rated countries for democracies is, as Afghanistan, Myanmar, and North Korea. Um, probably no surprises there. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, I, you know, this map that I see here. Um, it's quite interesting. It does feel if I, I don't know if you can see this, but it does feel very much like an east-west divide, where on the west seems to be more sort of democracies, all democracies, and, the east. and yeah. then you have the yeah. um, authoritarian. But who decides this actually? Yeah, uh, no, exactly. I, I tell you what's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. I mean, what's interesting? So I think it comes from there's a there's a democracy index, um, which is published by the Economist Group, and They've got sort of their own methodology here. They they sort of um, okay, so take got, sort of weighted, yeah, takes various categories. Civil liberties, political participation, and political yeah. culture. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. You know, a mixture of things, um, and it's interesting. They've got yeah, so these sort of definitions of what they what they deem as a full democracy are nations where civil liberties, fundamental political freedoms, are not only respected but also reinforced by a political culture. Uh, conducive to the thri thriving democratic principles. These nations have valid systems of government, checks and balances, independent ju judiciary, and so on and so forth. Flawed democracies, which is interesting, um, are nations where elections are fair and free and basic civil liberties are honoured, but there may be issues. For example, the media freedom infringement, uh, minor suppression of political opposition and critics. And I, 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 Going back to this map, I do find it interesting how I don't think think from what i can see here i'm wondering do, does the uk and uh, 
uh, America, do they? And the rest of Europe, they don't really have that. Well, I suppose so. I suppose they are. Well, let's say so. Okay, it's interesting. So they've been categorized as full democracies, which is interesting. But I sort yeah. of wanted to come back to the point about, you know, it's all well and good where we have these sort of elections, open, free elections, but where the media is so heavily biased. Right. Um, and and typically within the UK, it has sort of a, a more more towards the right wing sort of persuasion. Exactly. It does make you wonder. It does make you so, wonder. Yeah, even on that description on the economic index, we said, uh, yeah. uh, I think, you read that they have uh, independent judiciary and yeah. media as well. Yeah. So, you know, it says where there's not media freedom now. Yeah. Like currently, like you, like you just mentioned, it's become well known. Exactly. You can much, much more so recently than ever before. Right? Winning the media by being, you know, good in the media. You know, if you look at the previous history of, you know, you know, previous Labour governments as well. Yeah. was a strong, you saw that switch. Yeah. At the time of, say, when Tony Blair was elected, of yeah. those heavily conservative-based media who suddenly switched their allegiance to Labour. Mm. Um, and at that time, and then they won, you know. And it was how, it was interesting because there was it was quite obvious that once the media had that switch, the people who followed that media yeah. then switched as well. And yeah. you decided to vote Labour at the time. I'm talking. I'm talking the time of yeah. uh, the Tony Blair when he came into power with Labour. Yeah. Uh, and I remember it literally being an overnight thing where yeah. papers like the Sun, which were, you know, very conservative, were saying, "Yeah, we now back Tony Blair." <laughs> it was just really strange. It was yeah. almost like overnight uh, yeah. that kind of thing happened. And you know, yeah. then on, it was just he was going to win. Yeah. And there was going to be, and that was really big at that time because yeah. the Conservatives had been so for so long, and you know, it was just interesting. Agreed. No, absolutely agreed. So uh, you know, is that a full democracy then? Yeah. Because we can say there is uh, media freedom, but is there? You know. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, there's some other sort of interesting sort of articles around this area um, on the BBC website. There was an article. Um, where, where it's, the title was Arabs believe economy is weak under democracy and I think this this is an interesting angle uh, um, about I think where countries I feel like countries feel like they need to become democratic democratic, in order to have a thriving uh, democracy and it, and it does feel like two sides of the same coin when you think about what the government sort of what our governance should be on the one side and then on the other side, you know, how should the economics of, of that sort of system work? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I, I think these two, and I don't, and, and maybe by design, I don't know, but it, I feel like something that's become so intertwined and I, and I don't think necessarily it should be, but where the, the political system and the economic system, this is where maybe this confusion sort of kicks in. To make the point probably a bit more eloquently, I was just just, just doing some some understand you know just some research around why do sort of free market sort of economics sort of thrive under democracies, and I, just from the research that I uncovered, you know, this, this, I've kind of taken an extract here to sort of really explain what I'm trying to say. It says democracies often embrace free market economics 
because it aligns with principles of individual freedom, competition, yep. private property, property. So it says the belief is that market forces driven by supply and demand promote efficiency, innovation, and economic growth, ultimately benefiting society as a whole. Or as so we like to believe. So the approach is rooted in the, in the idea that individuals should have the autonomy to make economic choices, fostering a dynamic and responsive economic system. All of that, basically, what, what I guess I'm trying to drive at is this notion that if we're free, you know, we have a choice. Um, you know, the, the 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 nature of sort of the free market system is, you know, you can, you know, it, based on, you know, you know, supply and demand sort of economics. You know, you you can you can improve upon your situation. You that choice is in your hand. If you yeah. want a better life, you you go grab it. Basically, it's within your control. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe this is might be probably one of the biggest red herrings of the twentieth, twenty first century, even now, twenty first century. Yes. You know? Well, it's yeah, because it's almost like it's like a free for all. Yeah. It's like the idea that um there should be no level of control, that we should be free to do what we want, which to a certain extent we should, you know, just have freedom yeah. of thought. Yeah. Um and in that way, everything is going to be fair because, yeah. you know, you've got that complete freedom. But however, we have seen that that level of lack of control mm. means things can go out of control, as we've seen with democracy mm. and we've seen with, um, you know, different political parties around the world yeah, uh, and how the elections have gone. Yeah. So, you know, it's and it becomes manipulated. It can easily yes. be manipulated. And and what happens is, you know, you can just say to them, "Well, you this is what you voted for," and that's an unfair argument. Yeah, because you know that sometimes is not what you voted for. There was, like you said, we were talking earlier. They, you know, you got the sweet deals. Yeah, uh, going for a while, person comes in, and then everything changes. And yeah. you know, it's like, well, that's not what we voted for. We didn't vote for, yeah. you know, this kind of level of extremism or whatever it is that you that you voted for. You know, we voted for, you know. Um, uh, peace or something like this and you know it, it, this is what you promised us and now we're not getting it it's 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 flawed in the sense yeah. that i think any kind of man-made system yeah aren't really ever be will never be perfect yeah. it will never be perfect and it can be if if one man can create it and i'm you know yeah. using the man as a broad term yeah then there's so many other people can manipulate that, yeah. you know, they can find the flaws, they can find the loopholes. And that's where it will fall, it will fall apart, yes. Yeah. This um, this article that I referred to here from BBC around um, Arabs believe economy, economy is weak under democracy. There's some interesting stats here where it says, um, it sort of has a very sort of like a bar graph and it says the heading is um, people are more interested in effective government than the form of government it takes. And it mm. says here Iraq was at the top, you know, 79% of people polled agreed to that, followed by Tunisia, 77%, followed by Libya, 77%, Jordan, 76%. So you can't help but feel that those countries that really are suffering with their own sort of issues going on internally, that in a way they don't care what type of form the government takes if, you know, it's they need to get, the, you know, what is best for the people. Right, um, because what was because that, that, that's actually a strong argument. That's such a strong argument yeah. because yeah. I remember saying I can't remember who said it. 
was that the biggest fear? I mean, it was it was an author. I can't remember now. It's just popped into my head. But it's like the biggest fear for um, democracy is um, is a good dictator. Yes, yes. No, no, yeah. So you know, anyone who comes, if he, you know, if it comes in and he he's a dictator, yeah. but the yeah. people, the the will of the people is satisfied, yeah. and people are happy, they're not going to yeah. complain. Yeah. You know, if people are living freely. Yeah. Uh, yet this guy, you know, this person, whoever it may be, doesn't get voted in. They yeah. came in because they had to, and came in with an iron fist just to sort things yeah. out, and did so. Then, um, you know. It, it, I mean, I've let, I've yet to see an example of that, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I can't remember where that quote came from, but yeah, I remember it popped into my head. It was an author of some. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and there are various other. There's another article I've come across. Um, this is uh, on the FreedomHouse.org website. The title of the article is "Why Are Youth Dis Dissatisfied with Democracy?" And it says young people are disillusioned with democracy. but they're finding alternative ways to make their voices heard. Um, and I think maybe given the rise of sort of social media and the way news is being consumed by that particular generation, I mean, you know, you're finding out alerts much faster than, than sort of, you know, when you're on the main sort of news website, BBC and other, other sort of news outlets, you know, you're finding out things in well in advance of those. Um, and, and, and also, Well, I was going to say they're, they're probably hearing other views as well, but I can't help but think the problem with social media is is a little bit of an echo chamber. Yeah, so, yeah. Not depending on the algorithm, I'm not sure how sort of right. Yes, that's a hard one yeah. though because you know yeah. um, social media has become a very strong form of media. Yeah, uh, and it's one where a lot of people's opinions yeah. will be um, um, shaped. Yeah. So and they but they'll only get to see one side of the story. You know, it's even worse than in a way because you said the algorithms around it. You know, the more you look at one particular topic, the more you'll see of that topic. Mm. Um, you know, which was kind of a one-sided view of things because that's not how it should work. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and then that it's probably even worse than you know having a a, a flawed media. I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's. One other article that I wanted to bring in was, this was published on the BBC website, and the title was, Is Democracy... It, this is going back quite a while now. It's actually back from 2018, October 2018. And the title was, Is Democracy Having a Midlife Crisis? And this was interesting because this was written at the time of election of President Trump um, and sort of, you know, figures like that. Um, obviously, you know, politics happening in the UK at the time, the Brexit referendum. So there's a really interesting line here where I think this was uh, Professor uh, uh, Runciman who's giving his, he's taking his ideas from his recent book, How Democracy Ends. Um, and there's an interesting quote where he says, uh, much, of the, uh, much of the sense of political uncertainty and frustration is as a consequence of the 2008 financial crisis. And, and maybe that's just it. I think... Because some of these earthquake-type moments that have happened politically, yeah, it's 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 really you know. Well, I was going to say when people sort of hit rock bottom, what option have they got? They sort of go to the extremes, I guess. Uh, well, I mean, we, we, well, this said, is, well, you know, it's what happened at Nazi Germany, wasn't it? When they sort right, of exactly, thought, yeah, yeah. And that, that, I suppose that's become a, another well-known fact that during times of financial crisis, this is when those populist extremists. Yeah. 
will then become incredibly popular because then they will say, this is what you know the banks are doing to you. This is what the government did to you, and they can get you know they they you know they can run away with it. Which, you know we saw with you know is what happened with Nazi Germany. You know there was that type of you know extreme um, uh, economic crisis yeah. uh, for them. You know obviously the 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 First World War and how that shaped out yeah. um, that they they were able to um, come into power. Uh, and, and and use that against any other opposition in, in during the elections. Obviously, it got heavy handed after that. But um, you know, the initial uh, sort of prior, you know, almost ten years, yeah, um, there was this whole uh, um, blame they could say on the governments. This is where it's got you so far, kind of thing. And that's what's happened. Like you said, you mentioned the two thousand eight financial crisis. And then you've got the extremists now who are still, you know, saying this is because of the governments that you've had in, in that time. Yeah. Which kind of brings me then on to a really interesting article about, this is taken from the Guardian website. Um, the title of this was The Big Idea. Should we have a truth law? Yeah. Um, sort of the caption is, today's politicians mislead with impunity. Could we legislate to stop them lying? Um, this is written by Sam Fowles um, back in uh, July 2022. And I think it's um, it's a really interesting sort of notion here. He gives some, cites some examples at the time, uh, or, or, pre or previously rather in the news that have been reported, where, for example, um, this is the, the, the infamous Brexit bus, which sort of promised 350 million a week for the NHS, mm -hmm. um, right through to sort of the, the, tra the, the, the train strikes. And he says, it was in one interview, Boris Johnson and Prime Minister told an interview that train drivers are on 59,000 and some are on 70,000, quote unquote, as, a, as their salary. But it turns out the average wage of a striker was below 36,000. 36, yeah. Um, so, and, he, and he, there's a really interesting, I'll, I'll sort of read it word for word from his article, where he says, Truth, the author of the article says, Truth is democracy's most important moral value. He says, we work out our direction as a society through public discourse. Power and wealth confer an advantage in this. The more people you can reach by virtue of enjoying easy access to the media or even controlling sections of it, the more likely you are to bring others around to your point of view, which, you know, exactly pretty much what's happening in the UK. He goes on to say that the rich and the powerful may be able to reach more people, but if their arguments are required to conform to reality, we can at least hold them to account. Truth is a great leveler. And I think that's a fantastic kind of quote there, truth being a great, great yeah. leveler. But it's whether or not that, well, it, it's not happening. I think that's the problem. Um, and that's probably where democracy is suffering massively, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because you said, um, you know, that whole idea of a truth storm is, is almost laughable because, yeah, yeah. you know, we're, we're now saying that Outside of that, it's almost okay to lie because yeah. there's nothing, there's no law preventing them from doing it. Whereas lying itself is wrong. The whole concept of lying is wrong. To do that is to be manipulative, is to you know to deceive. Yeah. And ultimately, this is where you know if if we're saying it's right now, we need a law to govern that type of lying, as you know you mentioned as some some of the um, you know you mentioned Boris Johnson uh, yeah. previously, and um, 
you know, he could have, you know, I was saying he could have been arrested now for some of the things he said, I guess, if it's yeah. against the law, he's broken the law uh, for lying. But ultimately, what kind of integrity is there in a person yeah. who can use the fact that they're not going to get arrested for lying and will get away with it and will continue to lie, which we saw. Yeah. Um, and we still see now in governments now, no matter how much we know they're lying and we're, they, they're questioned about their lying, they still lie and they lie up on top of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's because they know they can get away with it. And it's just, yeah. that's, that's really interesting that we've got to a point where lying is so prevalent. Yeah. In that sense that yeah. we're asking, should there be a law against it? Yeah, exactly. And it... Whereas, whereas I think in the past, you know, someone called lying, um, yeah. you know, would have been kicked out of office. Yeah, that's right. And there were conventions, right? There, there are sort of conventions within sort of public office where, you know, sort of do the honourable thing and sort of step down. But yeah, it, right. as if all of that has been thrown out the window. Um, I was just going to, you know, just sort of leading on to sort of the, the latter half of this show yeah. is um, sort of bringing in um, sort of the Islamic perspective on this. And I know yeah. we've spent a lot of time what what maybe what maybe sort of perceived as sort of democracy bashing here, yeah. and and really that's not really the sort of the intention of this show. If anything, I think what's quite interesting is that um, if you, when you read you know certain sort of verses from the Holy Quran, democracy is probably quite promoted. I think within the Holy Quran, yeah, and it needs to be, and then it should be defended. So, yeah. so just before you go into that, yeah. yeah, yeah, like you said, there is a fear that we're doing democracy bashing. It's not about democracy itself it's about defending democracy true democracy yeah because like we said it's been manipulated and it's been twisted and been used to the point where you know we got to the point where we we're talking about having a law against lying mm. you know so you know we need to come back to a point where we're defending true democracy where you know a vote counts for something you know Counts or something, and being in power and having being entrusted by you know potentially millions of people who have put your name or a person's name onto a piece of paper and said, "Yeah, we want this person to lead." Does it with integrity and honesty? Mm, exactly. Um, what I have here from the the Al Islam website, uh, alislam.org, there's an interesting sort of article here: Is Islam and democracy incompatible? And it says here that Islam gives people free choice to adopt any system of rule that suits them. The Holy Quran prescribes two principles of governance, um, which are present in successful democracies as well. It says it leaves the rest to the people to decide. And he said the first principle is absolute justice. And the second principle is consultation. Um, and it's quite simple, isn't it? It's quite simple, but very effective. The absolute justice and consultation are the pillars should be the bedrock uh, of, of of any sort of uh, political, of any system, government system. Um, yeah. And when you think about that, it's probably it sort of echoes of what we've just spoken about. That consultation obviously is key. Elections, yeah. free, open, free elections, fair elections, free. and the, the principle of absolute justice, which sort of comes back to the point we we're making that how 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 bad have things become if the idea of a truth law, you know, is is you know some people are sort of you know call, you know maybe not calling for it, but wishful thinking that you know we yeah. you know can't help but think that the quality of our sort of leaders has sort of demanded such a thing 
which comes back to this principle of absolute justice. Um, I, I was just going to say there was a, we talk about, um, you mentioned about elections, for example. Yeah. And there's a verse in the Quran that states from uh, chapter 4, verse 59, which says, Verily, God commands you to make over the trusts to those entitled to them, and that when you judge between men, you judge with justice. Uh, and surely excellent is that with which God admonishes you. God is all hearing, all seeing. Um, and then the next point is, and though, uh, this comes from chapter 42, verse 39, and those who hearken to their Lord and observe prayer, and whose affairs are decided by mutual consultation, and who spend out of what we have provided for them. So some key principles there, which almost should form the sort of the bedrock of any sort of civilized society, is, and, and I think the first verse that I mentioned, uh, when it says about uh, where, where God sort of commands uh, when you make your trusts, you know, yeah, you know, be, be sort of responsible for that. You think about elections and exactly that, that if people are sort of just holding on to power for power's sake, it sort of, it sort of flies in the face of that. I haven't really understood or truly understood the role of public office. That's right. And again, this comes back to that it's, it's a personal power, yeah. you know, um, gain for them mm. or even search. Whereas within the Quran, and this is where you have to have it, and it, 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 you you have to put your trust in God. You know, there's the verse got around that Shura, where it says, yeah. "Consult the matter of administration," which was um, yeah. chapter three, verse hundred and sixty. I think you, you mentioned, yeah, yes, yes. It said, "Consult the matter of administration, and when thou art determined, then put thy trust wholly in Allah." Yeah. So, and surely Allah loves those who put their trust in Him. So. The trust that you have to have has to be in God, yeah. You know, and this goes for not those, not just the person who's making who's voting, but then those yeah. who are then need to have that trust in God as well, and need That's to, right. uh, uh, you know, because once they they have that kind of faith and have that fear of God, yes, then they will do what they need to to do right by God's creation, I guess. Uh, and, and 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 this is the difference where yeah. in the Quran this is not a man-made law this is a law set by God yeah and yeah. that makes it infallible that makes it perfect and I, and I think this is the irony isn't it that when people keep you know in the news you know particularly in the West where sort of you know people keep raising sort of slogans of Sharia law and, and trying you know <laughs> all sorts of negativity towards that whereas Sherry law is this it is about holding you know those in those sort of in elected roles they they are effectively you know holding those roles you know holding public office as a trust you know right. they have taken from people whatever political system is used this is essentially sherry law it's not i think people sort of associate their, their own sort of uh, well not you know i mean that's that's, that's 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 yeah i mean that that's just yeah. people blurring yeah. out their idea of yeah. you know, Trying to manip again, trying to manipulate something that a word into yes. something. Yeah. There's, there's no kind of investigation into what Sharia law is. It's just yeah. we'll use that to say I'll get our own gain out of it. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's just showing, and I think yeah, you sort of hit the nail on the head there. That many time in all these verses, it's 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 referring to you know you know have fear of God, you know put your trust in God because. Yeah. That is the central beam, isn't it, across you know society? That ultimately, 
that's highlighting the the importance of accountability that there is a, a world to come after this what we do here it does matter and it will, will play a part on how we're judged in the you know in the next life basically you know what we do yeah. now it's it's this is don't think it's the end basically and we it's it really is sort of a, a how can I say, um, you know, we will be sort of judged by how we are, sort of how we carry our affairs. Right. Um, you know, for the world to come. Um, but I, I, I'm just, just given, just looking at the time, I think um, it's just for time reasons. I think we're going to have to probably bring this episode to a close. I know we can talk for, for quite a while on this, but yeah. I think the remainder of this year will, will be interesting to see how these elections play out particularly uh, in the US and, and the UK uh, and the ramifications that that brings with it. But um, I thank you to my co-presenter, Narcissa Jad, um, for joining me on this episode. But before we come to an end, here is a clip from His Holiness, Hazrat Mizza Masur Ahmed, the supreme head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, that sums up the golden principle of governance, be it at a local, national, or even international level. This clip has been taken from the annual convention of the Ambient Muslim community of Holland back in September 2019, but the insight given by His Holiness is so profound that it makes one think whether it refers to much more recent political events. The principle with which His Holiness highlights, if adhered to, can lead to a more peaceful society. Let's take a listen. The principle given by Islam's Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, is that a person should be open-hearted and pure of mind. Instead of desiring only the best of him, for himself, a person should desire the same for others as well. Sadly, in today's world, we tend to see the opposite. Modern society is consumed by self-interest and, and greed. Disorder, conflict and warfare are on the rise and the principles of equity and justice are being consistently discarded. This is illustrated by the foreign policies of many powerful and rich countries. It has been a constant theme of modern history that dominant powers have sent their armies to distant uh, lands on the, on the pretext of establishing peace, but time has proven that their real objective has been to protect and enhance their vested interests. During such conflicts, if just one of their soldiers dies, there is an outpouring of grief and the pledge to take revenge. Yet, when their bombs or munitions cause the death of hundreds or even thousands of innocent civilians, including defenseless women and children, they remain silent and do not express any hint of regret or remorse. The, consequence, uh, the consequences of such justice, uh, injustice are extremely damaging and far-reaching. The local people <coughs> see that their lives are deemed to be of far less worth and value than the lives of those who are from powerful nations. As they deserve the stark double standards and the lack of humanity, they become overcome by frustration 
anger and resentment and their emotions threaten to boil over at any time. The peace and security of such nations lie in ruins, but the rest of the world would be foolish to think that they will not be affected. Rather, the world is now so interconnected that the, the ramifications of hostilities in one part of the world <clears throat> are bound to uh, spread beyond borders. And we have seen many examples of this in recent years. <clears throat> Hence, if we genuinely desire peace, whether in our personal lives or at a collective level, the pivotal point is that we should like for others what we like for ourselves. As I said before, the simple principle is the foundation for true peace in the world. 